Hey, it's good to be here with all of you. And uh, yeah, if you're a guest, hey, we're glad you're here and checking us out. If you're watching online, glad you are tuned in as well. Uh, just let you know, next week we're kicking off a new series called The Names of God. And we're just going to work through um, many of those, those well-known names uh, that the Bible gives to God. Yahweh, uh, something we don't talk about a, a lot, but sort of his Old Testament name. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, names like that. We're going to talk about that in this next series starting next week. Uh, but today we're wrapping up our vision series that we've been in called Beyond. And uh, this, this is really a framework for uh, where we are going as a church. These are the objectives that we have uh, as a church uh, moving forward. We said week one, we want to go beyond our walls, right? We want to be out there. We recognize the world has changed and, and, and the world needs the church. It needs you and me more than ever. We said practically one way we can be serving outside of our walls is being praying with people. I'm hoping Edinburgh will be a church that prays with people beyond our walls. We, we have a canvas up in the lobby uh, where we've said, hey, every time you pray with somebody, not just pray for somebody, but actually pray with someone in person, please write their name on that canvas so that we as a church can see that and pray um, for those people with you. Uh, we would like to see a thousand names by the end of the calendar year. We'd like to, as a church, if all of us, including our children, our youth, prayed with one person, we would fill that canvas up. By the way, people have asked me, where is that canvas? All you got to do is go out the doors, and it's going to be right to your right. It's right next to the parent room door. You will see it there. Okay, but that's beyond our walls. We want to be serving and praying with people outside of our church walls. Uh, then week two, we talked about beyond our natural abilities. I said, we want to be a spirit-filled church. We recognize that to do the work Jesus has called us to, friends, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. So we want to be a, a spirit-filled church. It really is the key to all of the other objectives. We really can't carry out the objectives supernaturally the way God wants without being spirit-filled. So we talked about how to do that. And by the way, there's going to be classes coming down the road that are going to even help us more learn how to better tune in with the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Josh did a great job giving us a message on beyond our seats, serving here at um, Edinburgh. Uh, and I was just looking because he, he told us to go to my Edinburgh and, you know, we could... We could look at all the different areas to serve them. Man, I was just amazed at all of the different areas um, here at Edinburgh Church where you can get involved. I'm telling you, there is something for everyone to do here at Edinburgh Church. Let me just give you a few. It's honestly two pages long, uh, this list, but we need people to help out with, with custodial work, uh, human resources. Uh, we need people to help out with the facilities, all right, information, technology, support. Uh, I don't even exactly know what that means. I think it means computers, okay? Um, but we need people who know how to use, work computers and can help us with that. Finance team, security, coffee shop, barista or cashier, landscaping, all right, medical responder. Uh, you've got, we need greeters, hosts, uh, people to work connection point. We need small group leaders, people to lead classes, outreach, events. 
events. Uh, we need Sunday small group leaders for our children. We need nursery caregivers. We need welcome team for our um, children as well, along with Awana on Wednesday nights. I mean, this list just goes on. We, we need small group leaders for our older kids, uh, people to help check in, parents and kids. Uh, we need people to help submit photos around here that we can put on social media. That's something we would love to, to see people volunteering to do. We need people to help out with our prayer ministry. Friends, prayer ministry, man, we need people to be a part of our prayer ministry. We need people to help out as office assist assistants uh, throughout the week, event services. Man, we need small group leaders in youth, worship leaders in SWAP in our youth we need prayer partners, people who are going to step up and say, I'm willing to pray for all of our high schoolers, something we do around here. I mean, this is just, we need lighting operators, media operators, stagehands, and there are, is a lot more. What I'm saying is go to myedinbrook.org. You're going to see there is so many ways to get involved. We don't want you just coming to church, friends. We want you being a part of the church, being part of the body of Christ and what God is doing in the world through his church that he loves. So please do that. Man, so many ways that you can go beyond your seats. Um, but this morning, I, 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 we're, we're, we're wrapping it up with beyond our masks. Beyond our masks. Okay? Um, you know, we, we, we've kind of become familiar with masks over the last couple of years, right? With COVID and stuff, people have started to, we, we were wearing, we found ourselves wearing masks, right? And, and most of us, if we were to be honest, like we didn't really like wearing the mask. If it wasn't for COVID, we probably wouldn't choose to wear a mask. But we found ourselves wearing the mask. And if I could just be honest with you, um, I wasn't crazy about wearing a mask. But I found some benefits to wearing the mask. I didn't have to brush my teeth in the morning. And if you didn't brush your teeth, it was also nice to have the mask, right? If I had a zit, just slap a mask on it, man. Nobody's going to know, right? Because I had to wear the mask, it was like, well, I can't really work out. So the mask gave me a perfect excuse to stop going to the gym because you can't work out with the mask. The mask had some benefits, some things that, you know, I kind of learned that I could do. I could go incognito, put on a hat and have my mask on. I could hide, but the reality is, if it wasn't for COVID, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't wear the mask. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't choose to wear a mask. And yet the reality is, as much complaining and things like that as I heard about wearing those masks, it's interesting that many of us wear a mask every single day of our lives. And I'm not talking about a physical mask that protects us from a virus I'm talking about this invisible mask where we hide ourselves from what's really going on in our lives to other people. I think the reason for that is we wonder if people knew who I really was, if people knew what I was really struggling with and what that sin in my life really is, we wonder, would they really love me? Would they really accept me and receive me? for who I am. Friends, this goes all the way back to the beginning, to what we call the fall of mankind. You need to know this. It was, it was the devil. It was Satan's first plan of attack was to cause us to hide 
from one another, to cause us to wear masks. He wanted us to become people who hide from each other. We read about this in Genesis 3. And just to set this up, God has created the world, and it is good. He's created Adam and Eve, and we're told it is very good. And Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, this amazing place where they are enjoying probably the deepest, most intimate fellowship two human beings on earth have ever experienced together. They are naked and unashamed and in perfect fellowship with each other and with God. And Satan wants to disrupt that. So we read in Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Serpent we know is the devil here. He's more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This is what Satan does. The first thing Satan loves to do is, is to make God out to be a bad guy, right? He wants to make God out to be a killjoy. God really say you can't do that. Now, God had put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And it might raise the question, why would God do that? If, if, if that if put a temptation there before Adam and Eve, a tree that one tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And I think the reason for it is simply we, we need opportunity to show obedience to God. It's part of how we're wired. We need opportunity to bring God glory by being obedient through trusting what he tells us, okay? We need that opportunity. So he puts the tree there. But Satan's trying to say, did he say you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now Satan is just blatantly lying to her. This is what Satan does. But it's not even a complete lie. It's more of a half lie, like a half truth kind of lie. Because what he's, he's saying, you're not going to die right away. Wink, wink. Oh, but you will eventually die. This is what Satan does. He comes along with half truths, tries to deceive, tell us it's going to be okay. God wasn't, won't really care. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What just happened? Okay, it says they realized they were naked. You could read that as they became ashamed. They became self-aware of this thing we call shame. And so they began to, to some degree, hide themselves from each other. They were in this perfect harmony, this perfect fellowship, but now they have to hide themselves because they don't completely trust the other person, what that other person might think of them because of the shame they are now aware of inside of them. And so they, they sow fig leaves. And it got me thinking, what, what are the fig leaves today that we, we create in our lives to hide ourselves, to protect ourselves from others? You know, for some of us, it might be uh, trying to, to pre present ourselves as being wealthy and keeping up with the Jones and that kind of thing. Because if we, if we appear to be wealthy, people will like us, people will respect us, 
People will think highly of us. So maybe for some of us, it's trying to keep up with the Joneses and putting out a good appearance that way. That's, that's our fig leaf. For some of us, maybe it's just trying to appear that we're always strong. No matter what the situation is, we're strong. I've, I've heard this, this kind of been a theme in my life lately with certain people. It's like everybody knows that really you're struggling. Everyone knows you're weak, but you'll be like, I'm strong. I'm strong. I know I'm strong. And we all know that you're really not, but that's the fig leaf. You want people to think of you as strong when we know you're really struggling. For some of us, maybe we use humor, right, to try to be funny so that people will like us and think highly of us even though inside we're suffering. And maybe for some of us, we're just kind of distant. People ask you, how, how are you doing? You know, I'm fine. And you never really let anyone in, and you just kind of stay distant, and you're kind of separated. I just wonder if you spend some time this week asking yourself the question, what, what is my fig leaf? Or what are my fig leaves? What is it that I try to do to present myself a certain way so that I can hide what's really going on in my life? Well, hey, it's going to get worse, okay? Because in verse 8, we're going to read this. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. You could read that. I was afraid because of my shame, and so I hid. So now we're not only hiding from each other, now we are hiding from God. Friends, this was Satan's first plan of attack. This was agenda item number one to get us to hide from each other and from God. I put this in your notes if you're taking notes. The devil wants us to live in isolation. You need to know that. He wants you feeling isolated and alone. Okay, now that doesn't mean you're not in community. It doesn't mean you don't have a lot of people around you. It doesn't mean you can't go onto social media and use social media to be in, in, in community with others. But what it means is you have people around you, but they don't really know who you really are and what's really going on in your life and the struggles and the sin that you are dealing with. I remember when I came out of my past, many of you know my story, coming out of drug abuse, right? I, I'm, I, I'm a high school dropout. This would have been my junior year, and I'm trying to get my life right. And I'm, 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 I'm starting to go back to church, okay? I'm sitting in church, and I remember looking around and some of you are going to know exactly what I mean by this. I looked around and everybody just seemed so pretty. So put together. Everyone looked like they had it all together. And there was this part of me that, that felt like I will never be able to tell these people what's really going on in my life. I'm never going to be able to be known in the church because these people... are two put together. And if they knew who I really was and the things that I did, and friends, I did some bad things, they would reject me and they would judge me and I would not be loved. And I remember that fear that crept up in my heart, wondering, will I ever be able to truly be known by somebody else? 
I did have this dream even back then because God was even calling me to ministry. As soon as I got saved, God kind of put this vision in my heart to want to tell other people about Jesus. And I remember wondering, if I was ever a, a leader, if I was ever a lead pastor, I remember thinking, I wanted to be a part of a church where people could come in and feel safe to take off their mask and be real with others. And friends, I've been in ministry for many years now, and here's what I've learned if you're sitting out there right now and you're thinking, man, yeah, my life's a mess, guess what? So is everybody else's to some degree. We are all just wearing masks. And one person's issue might be different from another person's issue, but I'm telling you, we've all got things that need work on in our life. But man, isn't it true you can come into church and the church can be one of the places where we feel like we've got to wear a mask? And so the question is, what do we do about that? <laughs> what do we do? How do we become a people who can take off our mask? Because that takes a little courage to do. I want to talk about that this morning. And then I also want to talk about how can we create an environment here at Edinburgh Church where we feel safe to take off our mask. Okay, so starting with what do I need to do to have a little more courage to be willing to take off my mask, okay? It starts with this. It starts by knowing, first, I am safe in Christ. That's the first thing you got to know. you got to know that you are safe before God because of Jesus Christ. Okay? This is actually part of the Genesis uh, narrative that we just read. So remember, Adam and Eve have sowed fig leaves for themselves. Um, by the way, uh, when, it, when it talks about the clothing in Genesis, it's not trying to teach us. Maybe, maybe it's part of, like, why we wear clothes today. But you, you're understanding there's a deeper, there's a deeper meaning in the, this idea of clothes that we wear, right? Like, Seinfeld already told us why we need clothes. We need the pockets. Am I right? <laughs> like, where are you going to put your cell phone and your keys? I don't know. You have to get, like, a man purse or something? That's not a... I don't know, okay? So we need to understand, like, this is deeper. This is trying to teach us something about these invisible clothes that we wear. And, and Genesis is actually going to go on to tell us that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And I want you to notice, it's something better than the fig leaves, okay? There's a deep meaning here. Um, this is a foreshadowing friends, of, of the righteousness of Christ that you and I are going to be clothed in. Notice that there's an animal that has to be sacrificed here. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. This is foreshadowing that in the same way, Jesus is going to become the sacrifice that's going to purchase for us a righteousness that we get to be clothed in that's not our own. It's given to us by God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to sew it together ourselves. God gives us. And so I remember when, again, coming out of my past, when I, when I learned about this doctrine, it's called the imputation of righteousness. Some of you might want to write that down and look it up this week. But the imputation of righteousness. I can't tell you, this, this doctrine, friends, it set me free. It was music to my ears. Because you see, I had this impression of God where I had to continue coming before the cross, coming before the cross, asking for forgiveness for my sin every day, asking for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, and kind of had this impression that God was just putting up with me, and I was kind of groveling before him. 
I can't help but wonder if that's where some of us are at today. They just constantly knowing their sin, constantly coming before him, groveling. God, maybe he'll just put up with me one more day. Maybe he'll just put up with me one more day. Maybe he'll let me eat my way into heaven. And then I learned about the doctrine of the imputation of righteousness, which teaches it's not just that Jesus took our sin on the cross upon himself. He also gave us something. He gave us his perfect righteous standing before God. Okay, so the best way that I could illustrate this is kind of a common illustration for this. I brought these glasses. Okay, I'm gonna put on these glasses. Do I look good in these glasses? No? Okay. Don't use this illustration again. Okay, got it. Um, You're actually my wife's glasses. (laughs) And here's what you probably can't tell sitting there. They have a pinkish hue to them. So right now, there's a, you, you guys all look pink, okay? Um, but this is all I could find that kind of had a little bit of a, a hue to it. And, and, and here's what this illustrates. You need to understand that when God looks on you, that when he sees you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. He sees you through the lens of the blood of Christ on your life, okay? So friends, he sees you. What does that mean for you? That means he sees you as a perfect son and a perfect daughter in his sight because you are in his righteousness. You are clothed in the righteousness that Jesus earned for you. And see, when I learned that, when I learned about the imputation of righteousness, that that God sees me as righteous in Jesus, I changed from being someone groveling, wondering if God was gonna put up with me for another day, to a person who started walking in the confidence of being a son. Why, did I earn it? No, Jesus earned it for me. But when I'm clothed in Christ, I can know God sees me as a perfect son. Doesn't mean he's not aware of my flaws. Doesn't mean he's not aware of my sin and the things that he needs to correct in my life. That's what a loving father does. But he never pushes me away. He never casts me out. He always welcomes me into his presence because I come in the righteousness of Jesus credited to my account. Is that good news? That's good news if you are a sinner like me, okay? And and here's what I learned. This is what this means for you, that even on your worst day, even when you've hit rock bottom or gone beneath rock bottom. As a Christian, God still counts you perfect in his sight and welcomes you into his presence, into the presence of a holy God. Why do we, why can we come into the presence of a holy God? Because Jesus earned a righteousness for me that I could never earn on my own. Man, that's good news. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus, those who have been clothed in the righteousness that Christ gives. Friends, we we can know that we're safe because if we don't know that, if we're always groveling, you will be tempted to hide from God. When you know that you're safe, you can come boldly into the throne room of God. And And you can let God know whatever is on your heart. If you're angry with God, you can let him know. If you're mad at life, you can let him know. If you're struggling with the sin, you can let him know. He's never going to cast you away because you are counted perfect and welcomed into his presence. Not because of your goodness, 
because of Jesus' goodness, which the Father established for you because he wanted you to be able to come into his holy presence. So we say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) If I'm going to be a person who can take off my mask, it's got to start first with not hiding from God. I got to know I'm safe, that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter before him. There's no condemnation for my life. And secondly, if I'm going to take off my mask, it starts by knowing that I am in a process. We are in a process, friends. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, I am in a process? This is very helpful for us, friends. You are in a process. And I don't feel like in the church we've done a great job understanding that we are in a process. I kind of feel like we have this thinking, like you become a Christian, and the moment after, you are supposed to have arrived and look like Jesus himself. Now, we might not admit that, and we might not say that, but that's how we treat people. We act like once you receive Jesus, you are supposed to have figured it all out, and you are supposed to have arrived. And so what the church does is creates this expectation of how you're supposed to live as a Christian. All of us know we're not meeting that expectation, so what do we do? We put on the mask. The church has been guilty of this, friends. And I just want to say, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for what the church has done. I'm sorry for any preaching on my end that's done that, that's caused us to want to put on the mask. Because the the reality is we have to recognize we are in a process, and that's okay. It's okay to be in the process. That's why John says in 1 John 1, 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's not talking about past sin. He's talking about present sin here. So even if you're feeling like you're doing really well this week, there's still stuff in your heart that God wants to work on. There's still room for improvement because we are all in this process and none of us have completely arrived. We don't arrive till when? Heaven, (laughs) glory, or Jesus comes back. So friends, we have to give ourselves some grace to understand this process that we're in. You know, it's, it's, it's not that I, I would ever want to encourage sin. Uh, it's not that I would ever, you know, um, want to even excuse sin. But, but to some degree, and this is going to maybe sound funny to some of our traditional ears, to some degree we have to expect it. If we're in a process and we understand that we haven't arrived, we somewhat have to expect sin in our lives and in the lives of others. True? Just logically? See, but that, that strikes us funny, doesn't it, to say that. But, but it's part of the process. That's how God grows us, teaches us new things, corrects us, we learn, we grow, we move into better things. We're in a process together. So what about your pastor, you know? Does, does your pastor have struggles? Because sometimes spiritual leaders, we especially, man, put on this pedestal. Your pastor's got some struggles. And I got to be wise and careful with, like, what I share with, like, a church of our size and up here. You know, there's, there's things that involve other people and things like that. But I can tell you, man, your pastor is still in this process with you. One of the things over the years that your pastor has, has struggled with, I have gotten better. I've grown. But I have struggled with patience my entire Christian life. And when I say patience, that might sound kind of innocent, but what I mean is like losing my temper and getting angry with either my spouse or my kids. And I have grown in this area. I have gotten better. But I just read like last week, um, 
I, 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 I kind of backslid a little bit. Well, let's just put it that way. We were on a, a road trip, like we were driving, and we were in the car all day, and my kids got restless. And they started like fighting in the car and rolling over seats and were screaming at each other while I'm just trying to dodge traffic. And you ever had that where you're driving and your like neck tenses up and gets really tight? And I was able to, I was doing pretty good until we got into the restaurant that we were going to. And we get into this restaurant and now there's people around. And I don't remember what triggered it, but I ended up yelling at them in the restaurant. I called one of them a little monster. And I kid you not, the waitress was right there, and I realized it right after I said it. She was, like, behind me, and she came up, and you know what she said to me? She said, sir, do you need anything off the drink menu? (laughs) That's what she said to me. (laughs) Won't tell you how I answered, all right? I had to apologize to my kids. My son's like, Dad, are you okay? I mean, he's like concerned about me because I was losing my mind. And that hadn't happened in a long time. But your pastor is still in this process where he says things and does things to his kids, his spouse. Man, Danielle and I have been fighting at times over the years. And then I'll get up here and and preach to you. Now you need to love your spouse. (laughs) And, of course, it's always, right, that's always when the fight happens that week when I got to do a message like on marriage and how we're supposed to love one another. And I'm up here just feeling like such a hypocrite. You need to know this. This is like part of your pastor's life. I, you should have seen me five years ago in traffic if somebody cut me off. The words that would come out of your pastor's mouth. Now, I just pray for their dark, lost soul. Okay, that's what I, that's what I do when someone cuts me off. Because spiritual growth, like one step... But I can lose my mind, and I know it. I'm like, if someone from the church, this is why I liked wearing the masks, because I'm like, if someone from the church saw me acting like this right now, they'd go, that's my pastor. (laughs) That's my pastor. And I wear that, and I feel that. But friends, here's what you need to hear. Your pastor is in this process with you. We are all in a process of growing together. So it caused me to think, what are some things in our church that are going on right now, that have never been brought to light, things that probably very few of us have ever talked about or been willing to open up at. And this isn't because I have anyone specific in mind, these things I'm about to mention. It's just I've been around for a while. I've been in the ministry for long enough to know that these things right now are in our church. These things are, or people who are watching online, are things people are really struggling with or sin issues in people's lives. Let me just give you a list. And I think I just want to preface it by saying I know for some of you, especially if you've grown up in church your whole life and it was very traditional, listen, this is going to strike your ears maybe as odd that I'm talking about this, but I'm doing it because I want to shine light on the fact that this is where people really are at and they don't feel like they can talk about it when they come to church. I think one of the ways we conquer the enemy is by shining light on these things. Some of us today are struggling with addictions of all kinds. For some of us, it's pornography. Some of us, it might be alcohol. For some of us, it might be pills or other drugs. Some of us are out there, are caught up in in this vicious cycle of addiction. And you're sitting there and you feel all alone. Some of us are carrying sexual baggage from our past. And we're feeling guilty and we're feeling no one else has sexual baggage in their past. And we're feeling all alone. Some of us are out there struggling with homosexual desires Maybe some of us even acting upon it, and we don't feel like we could ever tell anybody. 
in the church. Some of us are struggling with the guilt of an abortion. Maybe even someone this week contemplating having one. There's people here who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. There's people here who are struggling with mental disorders. And they wonder, what would someone think of me if they knew I had a mental disorder? Even if it's just depression and anxiety. Not to mention other ones. Some of us are struggling with food disorders, eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia. And we feel like if people knew, they would think something was wrong with our faith. We've got people who are struggling with marriage problems. People whose marriages are literally hanging by a string right now. But they don't feel like they can ask for any help because what would people think? There's people struggling with their kids. Wondering how they are going to continue (laughs) to love their kids and to be strong for their kids. We have people who are struggling with fear of the future and fear of the unknown. Loneliness, all kinds of insecurities. Friends, I can tell you in a church of our size, there's someone in here struggling with one of those things. And yet no one feels like they can take off their mask and tell anyone about it. And so what are we going to do about that? How are we going to get help? If we can't bring these things to light, how are we going to get the enemy out of our head telling us we're all alone? This is what some of you need to hear. You're not alone. Satan has tricked you to thinking you're alone and you're the only one who's struggling. So you'll sit there with your mask on, but you are not alone. We are all in a messy process together. Which is why the church has got to be a hospital. Amen? You know, people would be like, people in the church, man, they're messed up today. That's like going into a hospital and saying, why are there all these sick people here? This is where you come. You come to the place that has the cross on the top because you know that the healing power of Jesus It's a hospital. So what about us here at Edinburgh Church? What kind of culture are we going to create that allows people to feel safe and to take off their masks? That's what I want to end with. Let me just give you two things. And by the way, I think we've been doing a great job of this at Edinburgh Church. That's why you've heard some of the testimonies as of late, people who are coming and willing to share with you and tell you what God's doing in their life. It's because we're doing a pretty good job And so I want us to keep working in these two areas. First, Edinburgh will be a church where people find unapologetic grace. We are not going to apologize for leading with grace and lavishing grace on people. No matter what they've done, no matter what their story is, we are going to lavish grace on people. Jesus got in trouble for lavishing grace on people. We read about this in Mark 2. It says, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So who is Jesus ministering to, doing life with, actually sitting down and eating with? Tax collectors who were considered the worst of the worst. They're like singled out 
from sinners because they had like betrayed Israel, which meant they had shaken their fist at God and said, God, I don't care about you, your country, your purposes. They were working for the oppressor. Jesus is eating with them, the traitor. We know, we know it's referring to prostitutes here. By sinners, he's talking about prostitutes. We know in some cases, Jesus actually ministered to the oppressor, the, the Roman officials who were oppressing Rome. Do you, see, this, you see why you can, you can empathize why the Pharisees would get upset about this. But Jesus said there's got to be grace. You realize grace is what separates Christianity from every other religion. This is what makes Jesus unique. And church, this is what's got to make us unique. We lead with grace. And we're going to do it unapologetically. No matter what your story, no matter what your background, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with right now, we're going to lavish grace on you. So here at Edinburgh Church, it's okay to not be okay. You need to know that. Here at Edinburgh, it's okay to not be okay. Now, that, that doesn't mean we want you to stay there. It doesn't mean we want you to stay that way. We're hoping we can take off our mask, find healing and the power of the cross, and can start to move forward in this process together. But if you're sitting there right now going, I'm not okay, let me just tell you, that's okay. You are in the right place. We're never going to shame you. We're going to receive you, and we are going to love you. We're going to be a church that shows unapologetic grace. doesn't mean we don't know the truth. doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching from the Bible. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means we're going to listen to your story. We're going to empathize with you, and we're going to pray with you. Okay? We're going to be a church that shows grace. Now, that doesn't also mean there's not certain levels of responsibility, like being up on stage and... You know, when you do become a member, you are actually inviting a little accountability into your life. I just want you to know, anyone who comes through our doors, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing, we are going to show that person grace. Amen? Amen. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's got to be who we are. We got to be a hospital showing people grace. Um, doesn't matter what the sin is. Maybe something off that list doesn't matter what they've They've, they've struggled with. I'd even tell you, man, you want to know how gracious our church is? We even welcome Packer fans, okay? That's, that's, if you needed to know the level of grace this church has gone to over the years. Okay. And then this is the last one. For, hope for restoration, okay, or what we could just call impossible hope. We're going to be a church that gives people impossible hope. By impossible hope, I mean it seems impossible when we hear it. But here's the thing. Nothing's impossible with God. Yes? Nothing. So when someone comes in and they tell us their story, it's always done through the lens of the gospel. It's always done through the lens of, yes, but there's hope for you. Woohoo! We got to have hope, friends. That's what the gospel gives. It's not just a place to come and share. It's not just a place to come and despair. It's not just a place to come and, it's a place to come, find healing, and know that God has a good plan for every single person. That's why I love Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite Bible verses in the Bible, though I say that about every Bible verse in the Bible. But Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not do you harm, to give you hope, and a future. And when did, when did God say this to Israel? 
Did he say this in a time of obedience? In a time of moral victory? He said in a time of moral, spiritual failure. When they had rebelled against God, and as a result, another country came in, destroyed them, carried them off as slaves into captivity. I mean, they've just lost their country. And it's in their weakest, most sorrowful moment of feeling like losers that God shows up and he says, hey, I still have great plans for you. What kind of God is this? And he brings them back into the promised land. It seemed impossible, but he gets them back there. And friends, some of you, you are sitting out there right now. I know it. Saying, but if you knew my story, if you knew my struggle, if you knew the thing I did, you wouldn't be able to receive me. You wouldn't be able to love me. And I just want you to know I've been there. But here's what I've learned. No matter what your struggle is today, no matter what that guilt is you're carrying, no matter what that shame you might be feeling that you brought in here this morning, you are safe in Jesus. Christ has established a righteousness for you so that you can come boldly into the throne room of God and be called a son, a daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are, even if you don't feel it. God knows everything you've done. He knows everything about you, and he loves you ferociously. And we recognize you're in a process. And we are in this process, friends, together. And it is okay to be in this process. I think when we bring these things to light and when we let other people know what our struggle and our sin is, what our story is, you know what we end up doing? We end up robbing Satan of his weapons. Because as you come into the light, Satan's going to say, you're alone. No one would love you if they knew. And when you come into a church like Edinburgh and you tell your story and we wrap our arms around you and say, we are going to walk with you through this, what can the enemy do? And, and Edinburgh, I want you to know you're part of my story. I came here as your pastor. Probably five people in my life knew my background, knew my story, knew the things I had done. And I told you, and you know what you did? You loved me. Satan, what can you do? They know my worst. And they said, we still love. How could you not want to be a part of that church? Are you going to be a part of that with me? That's what I'm calling on you. You say, my life's a mess. I say, good, I'm glad you're here. Now join with us for that next person who's going to come in here and needs to hear that they are loved and that they are accepted and that God welcomes the messy. And so does Edinburgh Church. And so maybe a practical way you can do that, something I would just encourage you to consider is joining a small group, a place where maybe you could tell your story and let others in and start taking your mask off. Small group leaders, I would challenge you to give people an opportunity sometime the rest of this year to tell their story. Give every person an opportunity. And you, you can share how much you ever you want. You can share how little, how much, whatever you want. We're never going to pressure you. But we do want to give you that opportunity to start taking off your mask and disarming the enemy 
of his weapon of shame. So we're going to end this morning by uh, taking communion. And by the way, I should say, you can go to myedinburghchurch.org if you want to see what small group options there are. I encourage you to do that this week. But we're going we're gonna to take communion. If you didn't grab one, you can raise your hand. We've got people who will bring you one. And uh, you can start working on those layers. <laughs> we need to do like a how-to video for this, for your pastors and things. But I, I'm actually, we're not going to walk through the bread and the, the cup together. I, I just want to leave you with a question. We're going to give you some time to reflect this morning, okay? To take off your mask before God, to get real before God this morning. And, and here's what the question I'm going to ask. What can you give God thanks for? How can you thank him for this righteousness, for his blood? How can you thank him for the covering that he gives you this morning? We were doing this as a worship team in the back and people were saying things like, thank you, Lord, that I am covered by your blood even when I yell at my kids. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that I am covered by your blood even when I am spiritually lazy. Thank you, Lord, that I am covered by your blood even when I doubt you and I doubt your word. Friends, what can you thank God because His sacrifice, his blood poured out, his body broken, his perfect life lived. He did that for you so that you could come before God this morning and take off your mask. You don't have to hide any longer. So I'm gonna give you time to reflect and you're gonna just sit in that and there'll be some music playing. But I just wanna set the atmosphere by praying and saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done. We invite you into this place again this morning. We wanna meet with you. We wanna experience intimacy with you. Thank you that even though you were tempted in every way, you overcame every temptation to earn for us a perfect righteousness so that we can now come into your throne room and spend eternity with you here on earth and in heaven. And so, Lord, we are thankful. Wake in our hearts, Lord. Help us to not hide any longer. Let us bask in your love together. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.